Well, hello, my fellow marketers. Welcome back to Marketing with Purpose for you, the everyday practitioner. This is a space where we ask the why, where we have some conversations that we have individually, but we want to bring you in because I know you have the same ideas, thoughts, questions, and concerns. Today is one where we're going to have a couple different angles to speak about, but it's a topic that impacts all of us. How do customers buy now, today? You know, we're recording this on in June. <laughs> it's going to be different, right? It keeps evolving. How does that impact what we do every day? And that's kind of what I want to get into. So let me ask the question to Mary Ann James. How do you buy now? I buy um, via Instagram ads, not going to lie. That's probably where I get half my wardrobe and all my swimsuits for this summer. <laughs> so way to go on Instagram ads. Yeah. <laughs> my buying process is we're talking about sales cycle lengths. It's like I needed new flip-flops like eight months ago. And <laughs> just yesterday I looked up men's flip-flops on the internet and i spent three and a half hours trying to determine what flip-flops i want um and then i ordered them and it was beautiful i haven't received them yet because it's only been 18 hours but i'm i'm pumped i don't really buy stuff i i go to restaurants and bars other than that i, I buy groceries I'll stick with the same analogy you both chose, which is clothing, and I think it's a great one, is for me, I either ask my wife what I should do or I text my friends. You know, it's like, guys, I need a new pair of jeans. What do you got? Let me know. I think the three of us just talked about three different ways to buy. Um, and I think that's the beauty of it. Now, all three of us work in the B2B space. Although I'm SaaS and you're manufacturing, what boggles my mind is that the three of us just talked about how we how we buy. We don't think B2B buyers buy the same way. Mary, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, that's really interesting. I think that people use the excuse that B2B deals are so large that they can't be bought online. And that's an excuse for people not to put purchasing options online. Um but that's interesting. I, I, I like that. Like, James, what do you think? I mean, I think um, people, if you're selling something that, let's say the product that you're selling costs $85,000. Like, I think the idea is maybe you've been in enough conversations with people who have said, okay, I'm going to need to talk this over with my, you know, I don't know, the person in charge, my facilities manager. I'm going to need to find out what my budget is for, um, you know, thermal equipment. Like I know I moved over from the moisture division. Um, I, I don't, I need to make sure I've got all my numbers right. I can't mess this up. Like, you know, it's my ass on the line. If this goes wrong, um, I need to double check everything and salespeople and, um, you know, execs in B2B are probably super familiar with the experience of having to constantly 
you know, deal with that. Um, but like that's happening whether they know about it or not. I think like the big takeaway of like how people buy now is they don't need to have that conversation with you anymore. They don't need to parse through all this stuff with you. Like prove to them that you're the expert, the person that they want, that they're going to want to use. They're going to do everything they want to do before they contact you, before they contact you. And when they contact you, you, you just need to make it as easy and as seamless, as fun, as engaging as possible to work with you. Um, I feel like I'm trying to think of, of a company that I've spent more money with than any other company. I mean, it's probably just something like Spotify would be like a simple answer, but like, I mean, you just have to make it easy. Like I already determined that I wanted to work with you. Like I went in to get pants once at Bonobos cause I kind of like the style of Bonobos pants and they have a physical store near our office. So I was like, oh my God, I'll walk over there after work. And it's like this whole thing where you got to get a card and you got to, they, they're trying to sell you stuff. It's like, no, I know the exact pants that I want to get. Can I please just order the pants? Like, I just want to order the pants. And you, you have to sometimes like literally force them to let you buy something. It, that's the part that doesn't make any sense to me. And I think there's a lot of reasons why B2B businesses don't want to accept that sometimes people do everything they need to do to buy before they contact you. There's a lot of good reasons why B2B is hesitant to accept that, but they need to accept that. Definitely. I think a phrase that I throw out there and Mary, I'm sure you use too, is when someone's ready to buy, raise their hands, they want to talk to sales, make it easier to them. I think in, again, the direct to consumer space makes a lot of sense. When you're ready to buy, you add it to your cart and you get the item shipped to you. I think in B2B, it's like, we want that same experience. When we're ready to buy, I want it to be quick. I want it to be seamless. I want it to be easy. James used the word fun. Love that. Do that too. But the fact is that's not happening right now. What are the things you see, Mary, every day in manufacturing B2B? Um, are you seeing kind of those same pains with, with buyers? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, what we're seeing is a lot of um, like what I would call like sales doing marketing or sales doing a lot of convincing and persuading to accept a solution. So I would put that at an awareness level of like problem awareness and solution awareness. And that's really where marketing should be attracting and customers and then building affinity with a brand. Um, sales should really be that down funnel. So I heard, I actually saw a really good example of this on LinkedIn. It was a sales rep for Alice, which is a B2B SaaS tool for direct marketing, which is pretty easy, like direct mail marketing, pretty neat. And um, he said he had just changed over from another B2B software to Alice. And he goes, I've never been at a place where I, I come into a customer meeting that they booked with me and said, Oh, Alice, I love you guys. I see you guys everywhere. Like, tell me what you can do for me. So now it's like the customer knows the problem they have. They know you're the solution. 
So all the sales rep has to do is take that guy's business and give them, it's like a consultative sales call. It's amazing. Like that's exactly how the process should work. Marketing does that top of funnel awareness, building affinity, giving the people free knowledge to make the decision they need to make. And then sales just tells them how they can apply it to them as an individual. Yeah. And, and I love that breakdown. I think something that stuck out with me is um, the idea of like, what should marketers be doing for buyers? And generally my thought process is whatever the buyers need from us to make the decision. And I think where we get caught up tactically is, okay, I need to get more leads. I'm just only in the bottom of the funnel. I have to attribute my effort into dollars. And I would say some companies don't even get to that point. I have to attribute my effort into getting someone's name, email, phone number. To me, that's not what you were just talking about, Mary, where it's, we make awareness, we look at all the pieces of the funnel, and then downstream, we have a buyer who's ready to buy because we did everything before that. Have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think you nailed it. That was perfect. Uh, that's that's how I think like the ideal sales process should work. And we try to implement it with the companies that we work with and they're starting to see like the initial positive signals that those are working. So they're coming, filling out high intent forms, saying they want to talk to sales. And then in those sales calls saying, I see you guys all over LinkedIn. I saw your video on YouTube. I saw your ad on Facebook. Like that's exactly what we want to see. We want to build better awareness and affinity for our brand among our target audience. Totally. Now, James, I, I made a big generalization about what marketers should be. Um, I'm wondering, do you agree with me? Disagree? Do you have a different idea? I don't think that I have a, a different idea about what marketers should be doing. I think that makes perfect sense. Um, I think that maybe the, the real tough part for the practitioner is do those behaviors align with how I'm being evaluated as an employee? And if not, what are my options? You know, like what, what can I do? You know, I'm, I'm being evaluated by lead volume. I know how I can get lead volume and I can get it, but I don't want to because I believe what you said. I believe that, you know, this is what I should be responsible for. And I really can't do both as one person. Um, I, I'm kind of interested in, especially from an in-house perspective, what do you do if you're CMO of a B2B company wants you to generate leads at all costs, um, is not willing to entertain the idea that there's a more valuable thing that you could be doing. If you have a CMO who's saying that and they're not willing to listen, then you get out <laughs> like for sure. Now I will say if you're in kind of a company who's still trying to catch up and you're reporting to a VP of sales, 
who's looking for lead volume that makes sense. You're reporting to a sales guy. They like numbers. They like to see revenue. They like to see lead volume. I think you can do, and if he's willing, he or she is willing to listen, this VP of sales, I think there's room to hit the metrics they want to hit while also pushing forward your own agenda and educating them on why this is more effective. So I guarantee, I mean, I've seen it happen with maybe three or four clients now where when they switch from lead volume, so just generating leads that sales can contact who most of them are not ready to buy right now to focusing to more high intent, you're getting less leads, but you're getting higher opportunity values and higher customers in the end. Yeah, and I, I think everyone should linger on that topic of running away <laughs> and think about that. But what I really want to discuss with the idea of leads is kind of what James was saying is if we're asked to get leads and we're going to get leads and that's what we're going to do. If we were asked to provide the best marketing experience for our customers, no matter the attribution, we would do different things. And I think that's where I get very hung up as someone who got into the marketing game as a person who knew how to do lead gen very well, um, using Google ads and kind of, um, making landing pages, like very conversion rate optimization. Like that was my bread and butter. And then as I got to talk to customers more, I really learned like, they just don't care about that. Right. <laughs> you know, they care about kind of those things we talked about in the beginning is I need flip-flops. I've been thinking about it for eight months. I'm ready to buy flip-flops. Can someone do it for me quickly? You know, for me, it's a word of mouth texting my friends. It's I've been thinking about this, but I'm really going to get their opinion before I buy something. That's how customers buy, no matter if it's B2B or B2C. So if that's how customers buy, should we be doing different things? What do you think about that, James? I mean, yes. And I think that the easiest way to position this from like a B2B lens that I think is maybe the easiest thing that you can do that should be doable. The easiest thing that a B2B company can do. They don't have to change anything about like their marketing strategy is when I go to your website to set up a consultation. It is so freaking easy. Like, because you also, you've got people, the people that handle those requests, are real hardworking people. Like these are people, they're putting in a lot um, and they are busy, but it's all booked, right? Like you should be able to book it. You should be able to processize it enough that like, if I need to talk to the salesperson for Caterpillar to purchase $240,000 worth of equipment, I should be able to pick the time that I'm going to talk to him based on when he's available. Or when I put in that request, I should get a message back. We, there's some things that you ought to be able to automate. You know, here's what, here's who's going to reach back out to you. Here's when they're going to reach back out to you. Expect a response within this time. Like, I mean, like really treating them like they're your cl client before they're your client. Like, you set expectations like lead time about delivery. Why is there not a lead time expectation for me requesting contact? How do I not know what I'm going to get back from you? 
Like I just reached out. I have no idea what I'm going to get from you. In 36 hours, I could get a message that's like, what industry are you in? I don't know. I, I, I don't know what that response is going to look like. And the more that I've talked to Gorilla 76s clients, customers, like the people that we work with, a lot of the people that we work with, a big part of what makes them work and do really well is that they don't communicate like that. But a lot of times cut their customers don't find out until too late. And it's like, if they knew you were going to communicate with them like that and treat them with that level of transparency and respect and forwardness and treat them like a customer all the time, they wouldn't have got another bid. Like the only reason they would have got another bid was to just quote check with their supervisor. I mean, I think that's the easiest thing that you could do is to, when someone gets to your contact page, let them know, like, you can expect this type of response in this amount of time. And we are going to look for this information. We're going to answer these types of questions with that first response. We're going to start a conversation that's going to solve your problem. Expect attentive communication. Expect, like, literally just let people know what's going to happen because nobody has any idea. When I purchase flip-flops, I know I get a receipt that says, here's when you're going to deliver. Here's when we're going to deliver. Here's your tracking number. Here's the, I've got a map with a picture of the facility that the thing is currently being processed in. Like, you know, everything immediately. You don't have any of that in B2B and it kills the buying experience. It kills it. Well, James, I'm glad you brought that up here. Um, we're talking about lead gen and I'm going to tangent a little bit about conversion rate optimization. And really the thought that you sparked in my mind is when we think about how buyers convert and what should happen, we only assume it's let's fix this button. Let's make a smaller form so we can get the lead. Right. But what you explained to me, that's conversion rate optimization. That's a better buying experience is, I know exactly what's going to happen when I'm ready to buy. It's either on the landing page. It's explained for me. It tells me right after I fill out this form, I'm going to email with steps one, two, and three. Um, and then you got to follow up that flow once it happens, right? Is once someone submits themselves as a lead, it's like, what's the next step? It can't just be that that lead goes into Salesforce or HubSpot and then someone on the sales team works it. There needs to be follow through, right? It's Maybe it's an email cadence. Um, maybe best case scenario, someone's calling them immediately. That's account executive, not someone that's just going to qualify them and send them to someone else. Again, conversion rate, better buying experience is not just making it easy to get a lead. It's making a better experience for your customer. Mary James, do you have any thoughts on that? That's yeah, awesome. Come right back in and kind of take it from Mary um, yeah. and say that that is something that you can do to get you more leads. Like that does both. There's something that if you're being evaluated on the amount of leads, but you have this value that you want to uphold in the work that you're doing and you need to, you know, marry your why with what you're being evaluated on, that would be, that's why I think of that play is because it actually does both. Mary, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's killer, honestly. Um, this 
reminds me so much of this post I put on LinkedIn a couple Fridays ago. I said, happy Friday to everyone except leadership teams who make marketing report on lead volume. And it generated quite a bit of debate in the comment section. Um, so one of the more frequent ones, of course, people are asking, okay, what do you think it should be measured on? And I got a lot of responses from other people like high intent inbound requests, demos, pricing, um, emails. So still volume metrics. So I kind of let them, you know, duke it out in the, in the comments. And then I put my own in. And if marketing has to report to someone outside of marketing, then they should be reporting on pipeline dollar value. So just money, like we made X amount of money this month, quarter, year, whatever. And then high quality um, customer insights. So the latter is a little bit more obscure, a little more qualitative. The former is a little more quantitative. So I'll explain why I think it should be dollars and not volume and why volume um, can generate bad habits among leadership and sales teams. So if you're valued on inbound pipeline, so dollar values of customers who come inbound to your website, then marketing on its own, because marketing owns the website, owns inbound requests, can go back and look at the lead volume internally in their own marketing world and say, these are the leads who came in. This is who contributed the most dollar amount to opportunities. This is where they came from. This is where they said they heard about us. So then marketing can make the decisions on where their efforts are going to be placed. But when you just report on dollar value, then it's easy. Did we go up or down in the website? Here's why or why not. Here's what we're doing to remedy it. We don't report on lead volume because like I said, it just... Um, it generates bad habits among sales and leadership. What do you guys think about that? Love it. And <laughs> you know, Mary and I are probably gonna have very similar angles here. I think the reality of what you're saying is, what are you being tasked with again? Let's go back to the question is like, what should a marketer be doing? Um, there's more closeness to the dollars in an ideal world. I'll die on this rock is I think, <laughs> Marketers should just be storytellers and really control the message. I think that's where we can shine um, once you remove attribution out of it all. But I think if you can get close to the dollars, as we've talked about before, then you really understand your impact of marketing to the business. And again, a business only exists with customers. So I think I think you're getting there, right? Um, again, I'm an idealist. <laughs> I would love no attribution. And then we just um, were storytellers. We did messaging. Um, we worked on people's pains. We talked to customers. We don't even care about attribution. That's the world I want to live in. But I think that's really well articulated, Mary. James, you have any follow up on that? Yeah, I mean, pretty unrelated, but there's there's more ways to deliver value than storytelling. And I, but I, when you said that, I thought like I thought of a picture like I pictured your face on a LinkedIn profile, and it was like Aaron Weeks, storyteller, <laughs> like. Um, but yeah, totally unrelated. Other than that, definitely agree with everything that everyone's saying. Um, I, I do think that there's an amount that you can have a you can have a grasp of of why you believe that and why you believe this is what marketing is for, and be in positions where you just feel like you're being 
told not to do that. And in some cases, the things that you want to do based on why you're in marketing or what you think the goals actually are or should be, like you're being actively asked to not do those things that you think are good. Um, I don't know if there's like a an answer for handling that. Um, I, I do think that like just anticipating like a follow-up, I would say that my general advice would be like it, you are at work and that you, that at some point, I think you have to be able to separate, like at some point I'm just going to do my job. And if my job is to produce leads and they don't want to, and I like, and if it's, if my mentality starts to suffer and my career starts to stagnate, like I can be looking for another job while I'm getting all these leads. But, um, but at the end of the day, like, I don't know, is there any, like, what are the words of encouragement for someone who feels like my career is stuck because I'm being forced to perform outdated marketing? That's such a good question, James. I want us all to answer it. Um, I'll start, you know, I think that's the marketing existential crisis is, wow, if I'm, if I'm just performing outdated tactics, am I really growing in my career? Um, now, after getting out of that space, I think doing lead gen tactics taught me a lot, right? And it has a very clear goal, very execute, clear execution, and you're going to get better. Um, I think it's good if you're being tasked tactically to really try to achieve something. I think through those failures, that's actually going to help you do different tactics as you move into um, kind of better strategy. So I think... It's not a um, crisis where it's, I need to get out of marketing, but it's, you know, weather the storm, lean into it, right? You're still going to get to your destination. Now, if you do have questions about how do I get out of this legion hell, DM us. <laughs> uh, I'll definitely give you some feedback. I'll tell you what I try to do to get out of it. Um, again, read Gorilla 76 stuff. Um, they're very good proponents of why this doesn't work. Um, my space at Elevate Demand, we run native Legion. Like I'll experiment with it, right? But I'm trying to unlock growth. And I understand that like Legion and really the tactic alone is not going to unlock growth for a company. So that's my very long-winded answer. I'll throw it to you, Mary. Yeah, my, my advice, um, if you feel like your career is stagnating, so to Aaron's point, I think, yeah, bad habits can teach you a lot, right? So lead gen might not be what you want to do right now, but it can teach you how to work in a platform. It can teach you how to report to leadership. But as soon as you feel that growth stagnating, you got to get out. Like that would be number one. You can look it up on LinkedIn and stuff. The more you change careers, I mean, I hate to say it, but you get more money. So you can negotiate better salaries, Um I knew when I needed to leave my in-house marketing job, I was listening a lot to MJ Peters, shout out. Um, she was on Industrial Marketing Live with Gorilla76, and she gave you a free framework to use to take a product to market. So she was a product marketer formerly, and it was very easy. It was like research, do customer research, create content that that customer likes, distribute that content in the places where they spend their time analyze and iterate. So just super, super easy framework that you can continually rotate. 
And I presented that to my leadership team in great detail. And they said, this is now where we want to spend our time. So that's what I knew. I mean, once you have done the marketing stuff you're asked to do, and then you attempt to push innovation forward and it gets rejected, that's when you know you need to move on. Very good answer. <laughs> and I, I think there's just such beauty in that because I, I think we're, we're going to be asked to do things we don't want to do. And we also know that we, it doesn't work. But through that journey, you're going to be more prepared to really push the things that are going to work and learn how to persuade others, learn how to move the needle using a buzzword um, and those sorts of things. And I think it's one of those things where I can't even change my life as a lead gen marketer. So it, it must have got me to here. Um, James, do you have any thoughts on the question that you asked all of us? Not really. I, I don't know. If, I've never been in a situation like that. You know, I don't know if I could really accurately speak to that. I mean, I've done, the other thing is like, I've done plenty of jobs that were, I mean, that were stagnating. I mean, I, this gorilla is like the first job I've had. That's like, Oh, this is my career starting. Like my career was only stagnating. Like there was only stagnation. Uh, so it's like, I almost feel just like, there's no, there's no right answer other than like, eventually something happens and you don't feel like that anymore. But like, I, I always thought of it as like, you're not going to like what you do every time you do it. There are people that get paid to taste wine and they wake up some mornings and they say, God damn it. I got to go out to Montel because they've got a new product release. And I, I don't want to deal with like I 14 and like, they don't always like their job. And I remember receiving like advice when I was working in a restaurant where I did like my job. And a lot of us liked our jobs. We were, we were a great team and like the restaurant was new. So it was like fun. And the GM in like the pre-shift meeting literally said, you will not always like working here. You have to figure out a way to like showing up and doing well. You've got to figure out a way to enjoy the process of, you know, going in and being better than you were the day before and the process of like doing work and feeling you have to find a way to be fulfilled by that. Um, and I think that there's definitely like an amount that you can, you can be doing something that you don't believe in and still kind of work on that feeling up to a point. And it's like, it'll be so clear when you know, like, oh God, I've gotten everything I can possibly get out of this job. And it'll feel like it's too late because, you know, you're miserable for the next, however long it takes you to find another job. But, um, it is, there's still plenty of value in like those work experiences, like you all said. Um, I am curious whether you think that being stuck in a position like that is more kind of like, is our agencies more dangerous or in-house marketing more dangerous when it comes to like, you know, idea clashes and like my the reason that I want to do this isn't matching up. 
like since you've been in both situations? Totally. And I think um, we're almost at time. I think you just gave us our next podcast topic. And I would love to return to that. I would also love to do another episode about buyers, maybe kind of the psychology of it all. Um, so for our listeners, I, I do want to wrap up here. How do you buy now? It's very important because you need to ask that question. So then you can start doing the strategies and the tactics that get you there. And if you can take that out of this episode, perfect. Also think about the idea of stagnation in your growth. If you're feeling that DM any one of us, we'd love to talk about that. Um, but give us a like, give us some feedback. Um, tell us if what you want to hear next. James already gave us an episode idea, but take it easy. Have a good one. We'll chat soon. Peace.